0: Good morning. Our scripture reading today is from Luke 8, verses 40 through 56. When Jesus returned, the crowd welcomed him, for they had been waiting for him. A man named Jairus, who was a synagogue leader, came and fell at Jesus' feet. He pleaded with Jesus to come to his house because his only daughter, a 12 year old, was dying. As Jesus moved forward, he faced smothering crowds. A woman was there who had been bleeding for 12 years. She had spent her entire livelihood on doctors, but no one could heal her. She came up behind him and touched the hem of his clothes, and at once her bleeding stopped. Who touched me? Jesus asked. When everyone denied it, Peter said, Master, the crowds are surrounding you and pressing in on you. But Jesus said, Someone touched me. I know that power has gone out from me. When the woman saw that she couldn't escape notice, she came trembling and fell before Jesus. In front of everyone, she explained why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. Daughter, your faith has healed you, Jesus said. Go in peace. While Jesus was still speaking, someone came from the synagogue leader's house, saying to Jairus, Your daughter has died. Don't bother the teacher any longer. When Jesus heard this, he responded, Don't be afraid. Just keep trusting, and she will be healed. When he came to the house, he didn't allow anyone to enter with him except Peter, John and James, and the child's father and mother. They were all crying and mourning for her. But Jesus said, Don't cry. She isn't dead. She's only sleeping. They laughed at him because they knew she was dead. Taking her hand, Jesus called out, Child, get up. Her life returned and she got up at once. He directed them to give her something to eat. Her parents were beside themselves with joy, but he ordered them to tell no one what had happened. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Good morning, it's good to be in worship with you today. My name is Pastor Heather and I'm one of our co-pastors of Family Ministries, the other one who was just up here, my husband Clay. And I'm excited to be bringing God's word and um, diving into it with you today. Pastor Matt and Heather and Lauren are back East in Kentucky celebrating Rachel's graduation. So our hearts and mind are with them as they enjoy this time together as a family and celebrate this momentous um, occasion in the life of their family as they launch their first daughter um, graduating from college. This morning, um, I was really drawn to this story to think about this idea of healing. I didn't grow up in a tradition where we talked about healing a lot. We talked about it in, in context of these stories in the scripture, but it wasn't something that we talked about in our weekend week out about doing ministries or miracles of healing. And I think that um, Somewhat, I then ended up with a really negative connotation of healing because the people that I saw that were Christians that were talking about healing were the people on the television, on the Trinity Broadcast Network or on these various shows where at the end there's a 1-800 number inviting you to spend money and maybe God's gonna bless you through some miracle of healing. Or I think about the old school, the old time like snake oil salesman, some sort of magic elixir medicine with healing power that you can purchase and all of your worries, all of your physical ailments are going to go away. This, uh, an interesting kind of dynamic in this whole idea of faith healing or trinkets. A few years ago, um, Clay got this letter in the mail at our house and it was like, wait to open, there's an important prophecy. And we're like, oh, what is what is this interesting piece of direct mail? This is not This is not our normal direct mail coupon. And so Clay excitedly opens it up and he unfolds, you can go to the next slide, he unfolds a prayer mat, a prayer mat with this photo of Jesus on it. And I wanna to read to you the letter that came with it. This is what it says. It says, Notice the face, now when I say prayer rug too, that's a very generous term because this was a folded sheet of eight and a half by 11 paper with this printed image of interesting purple Jesus on it. It says this, notice the face of Jesus on this church prayer rug. When you first look, you will notice that his eyes are closed. Yes, we notice, thank you. If you relax and continue looking straight into his eyes, you will see his eyes slowly opening. It's kind of like one of those magic 3D things in the 90s where if you stare at the image, then his eyes open. And he will begin looking back at you. Jesus sees your needs, Philippians 4:19. Use this unusual, important church prayer rug for tonight only. Because somehow the church, know, the church prayer rug knows what night it arrived in your mailbox. And it knows that you're only allowed to use it for tonight only. So if you're on vacation and your mailbox is waiting, I don't know, the miracle might dissipate in the week it's in your mailbox. So- Then it says, let us ask you, would you like to have God's blessing upon your home, your family, and your finances? We all say, yeah. Say, yes, Lord, I do need your financial blessings upon me and my family's finances. Quote, Deuteronomy 28.6. That is a very generous paraphrase of Deuteronomy 28.6. Then it says, just put a check mark by your needs below, and they have a list of all of the needs that you could possibly have, telling us what you want prayer for. Also check any other needs you're facing, and maybe pray about sending in a seed gift for the Lord's work. So this goes to the church of St. Matthew's Church in Tulsa, Oklahoma, which as it turns out is a P.O. box that goes to a certain pastor who has a very large house in Beverly Hills. And his church of which there's no identifiable building makes maybe $6 million a month, okay? So they've been under investigation from the IRS. We, oh, the other thing too is it tells us that we needed to be sure to return this very high quality prayer rug back to the Tulsa uh, St. Matthew's church because it's important that we do so because if if we do, we will receive a wonderful free spiritual gift that will be a blessing for a lifetime, just with return mail. I mean, I have never just sent a a piece of mail in and gotten a lifetime blessing. That is amazing. Um, But the blessing doesn't kick in until they receive the prayer mat back from you. So there's some way that they can track and know if you sent it back in. So unfortunately for Clay and I, we did not receive the lifetime blessing because we kept their prayer rug because we're like, this is an amazing sermon illustration and we're gonna keep it and use it someday. (laughs) Yeah, so... Um, so there's testimonies then that you, re- that you can see on the next slide. There's a testimony of a woman that's been healed. Dear St. Matthew's Church, after I received this prayer package, I was healed of severe pains that I was suffering from in my left leg. I had tried many prescriptions which didn't help, but after receiving your prayer rug slash piece of paper, I placed it over both legs for a while. And then after about two days, I felt absolutely no more pain. I still do not have pain. I was healed by receiving this prayer rug from this ministry. God bless you in your ministry. So when I have thought about healing in my life, this is the kind of interesting spiritual mumbo jumbo of a magic, some sort of magical element that if we pray a certain prayer, God's blessing is gonna rain down in a way that it doesn't in any other circumstances. So I wanna look at these stories of Jesus healing these two women, because this is, This is different than Jesus, but we can see a little bit of where this idea comes from. So this is a story um, in the book of Luke. It had originally been in, it was also in the book of Matthew. And Matthew uses this structure of bookending stories, or they call it the and sandwich, where there's two pieces of bread story and a meat story in the middle. And so in the way this is structured, we have the bread story, which is Jesus encountering Jairus, the synagogue leader, who wants to have his daughter healed, who's dying. And then in the middle, there's this interruption of the story of this woman who's been bleeding for 12 years. And Jesus, as you heard, heals both of them. So we're gonna walk through this passage. If you wanna open it up in your pew Bible to Luke chapter eight, verse 40, we're gonna walk through it verse by verse for a minute um, or two or 10, um, as we take a look at these stories of healing and how God is at work through them. And all of this is gonna lead us to the point of understanding more about healing and God's kingdom and new creation um, and how God's at work in this miracle of healing. So in verse 40, it says, when Jesus returned, the crowd welcomed him. So Jesus has returned. He's been on the other side of the lake. The story right before this um, is when Jesus heals a demon-possessed man in the area of the Gerasenes. And now he's come back to the other side of the lake. And when he returns, there is a giant crowd of people there to welcome him. They have been waiting for him. And they've been waiting for him because back in chapter six, verses 17 to 19, Jesus had come down from the mountain and been preaching in an area, teaching in an area of level grounds, and a great company of people had gathered together, a crowd from all over, and they came to hear him and be healed from their diseases and have unclean spirits cast out. And it said in verse 19 of chapter six, the whole crowd wanted to touch him because power was going out from him and he was healing everybody. So by the time Jesus goes over to the lake, heals the demon-possessed man and comes back, word has gotten out and the crowds have followed him and they're waiting on the shore to welcome him back. I have this image and this idea of like, this is what Jesus meant when he talks about the parables of being ready for the time when the Lord is coming, of having having your lamp filled with oil, of being prepared. These people were prepared and anticipating Jesus's return. So he comes back, And there, right away, a man named Jairus, who was a synagogue leader, comes forward. So we know Jairus is significant because it says he's a synagogue leader and because we know his name, which we don't get for the other women in this passage. Um, This man named Jairus came and fell at Jesus' feet. And he pleaded with Jesus to come to his house because his only daughter, a 12-year-old, was dying. It reminds us of earlier in the book of Luke when Jesus healed the only son of the widow at Nain. So there's this theme of Jesus healing healing people, bringing bringing people back from the dead, um, healing people from demon possession over and over and over, miracle after miracle after miracle. So Jesus responds to Jairus and he starts to move forward. And as he moves forward, it says that he faced smothering crowds. And the word there for smothering is the same word in the Greek that describes the seed being choked out among the thorns in the parable of the sower. So this is a suffocating crowd. This is an opening day and the gates just open and everyone's pressing in to get through the turnstile sized crowd this is a folk like festival sized crowd this is a large crowd and the people are pressing in and Jesus is trying to go through i think this is CTAC the day before thanksgiving when you're when you're late for your flight and you have to press through the security line so he's pressing through this crowd and then there was a woman Who was there in this crowd? So Jesus is setting out on one journey now to go and respond to Jairus's request. But this other woman comes in, a woman who had been bleeding for 12 years. We understand that as connected to hemorrhaging, as connected to bloodletting that she had had for 12 years. It's not normal She'd spent her entire livelihood on doctors trying to find a cure and no one could heal her. And so this 12 is significant, uh, cause 12, that's our favorite number in the city, right? Um, that's our favorite number. And it's, and it's Luke's favorite number and, uh, in, in the book where he draws attention to the 12 year old Jesus at the temple. Uh, preaching and, uh, in front of all of the leaders of the temple, the 12 disciples. After um, the miracle of the feeding of 5,000, there's 12 baskets of food that are collected back, the 12 types of Israel. And then in this passage, the 12-year-old daughter and the woman who's been bleeding for 12 years. So there's a significant connection here between the daughter and the woman um, that God's gonna do something God's gonna break in here. 12 is the number that symbolizes God breaking in, God's new creation, God doing a work. And so this woman who had been bleeding for 12 years had spent all she had on physicians. Now, the Greco-Roman world had physicians um, that were then, that had whatever was modern at the time um, to do healing. Some of it worked, some of it didn't. And then those who couldn't afford those might rely on prayer or folk healers or holy men or miracle remedies. So she had spent everything she had. She... May or may not have gotten her prayer rug in the mail and sent in her last bit of money. She may or may not have bought the magic elixir. She went to all of the physicians. They expected money in exchange. She had given it all away. She was out. She had nowhere else to go. She couldn't even go to the temple to pray. The temple at that time was a renowned center of atonement where the sacrifices were performed, but it was not a place to go for healing. The priests didn't attempt to heal illnesses. They rather confirmed whether or not a worshiper was fit to enter into worship. Well, as someone who has been bleeding, there's all of these rites of cleanliness for women when they're at their time of menstruation, and they are not permitted to go in. They're not permitted to interact with the priest. So they're unclean. And so that means for 12 years, she has been unclean and unable to enter into worship. So they're making judgments on matters of purity, and they're not able to help her with her physical healing. But she reaches out. Um, this is a little bit different than the version of Mark, where in Mark, she, she has this internal monologue of knowing. It says that she knew that if she reached out and touched the hem of his garment, she would be healed. But here she just reaches out and she touches it, and at once, her bleeding stopped, It was instantaneous. It was immediate. There was no magic ritual that she had to go through. There was no spectacle. There was no take this ointment and go home for 30 days and apply it and call me back and let me know if it's working. It was immediate. And that's how Jesus's healing miracles work. They are instantaneous through his touch or through his word. There's no big spectacle. There's no big glorious ceremony. There's no David Copperfield coming up out of the, you know, of the trap door with the smoke and the lights. It's just simple. She touches the garment and she's healed. She'd reached out and perhaps touched the fringe on his prayer shawl that was dangling down. Um, So I even imagine like as this crowd smothering in, she's getting down low and she's reaching for that garment. She's getting trampled on potentially, reaching out and grasping for that because she knows, she has faith and she knows if she touches it, she will be healed. Well, she does it and it works, which is amazing. And then in the midst of this, Jesus cries out, who touched me? Oh no. She, an unclean woman has just touched this rabbi, this healer. She's made him unclean now because she touched his garment. What is gonna happen? Have you ever been in a situation where you have done something you weren't supposed to do and you have to make the public fess up? It's terrible. And I, you know why I know it's terrible is because I've had to do that before. Um, when I was eight years old and uh, a, a third grader at Lincoln Elementary in Coshocton, Ohio, it was third grade. is a hard year. There are a lot of feelings when you're a girl in the third grade. There's a lot of friend drama. This was during the era of the best friend necklaces, where you'd you'd get a necklace and your best friend would get a necklace, and you would give one to them. But there's a lot of power plays of who's going to wear your best friend necklace, and all of these different dynamics. So this is me in the third grade, just struggling to find my place to be in with the cool crowd. Um, And so anyways, I'm at Lincoln Elementary trying to fit in I think it was during a season where no one was wearing my best friend necklace that week and I'm in line at lunch, okay? So we go in, we go in line, there's the lady, she checks us off and says, yep, you're good for lunch today. Then we come around the corner and there's the stack of all the plastic milk crates and you're supposed to pull out your milk crate, chocolate or white milk, and then you go and there's the little counter with the window and they hand you your tray, I think it was nachos and beef that day, Um, and then you go on your way and go sit down. Well, I come around the corner and there's two guys in front of me, third graders and my class probably the letter a's because i'm baker and i'm behind them and uh and so there's the the, on this particular day there's a rogue milk carton on the ground and they're just kind of eyeing that milk carton they're like you do it no you do it no you do it no you do it and i'm like what's going on and they're like this milk carton's on the ground someone should step on it so me looking to fit in i'm like Maybe I'll step on it. I wonder what's gonna happen. You know, when you're eight, you're just thinking, I'm trying to figure out what the consequences for my life are. I'm gonna make poor decisions and see what happens. So that's what I do. So I lift up my foot, splat, milk goes everywhere. I mean, right, you guys know, these are like, what, eight ounces of milk. But in my mind, this memory, it is like an explosion, okay, of chocolate milk everywhere, this giant puddle. And it's now there and it's blocking the line. Hundreds of kids, you know, are behind me and they have to go through this line. But now there's this giant, this giant spot of milk. What am I gonna do? So I, you know, look under the little counter window and say, Lydia, somebody spilled some milk. Um, (laughs) You know, and she, and she goes, well, you're gonna have to go get the janitor. And I'm like, oh no, because our janitor. I'm not joking, his name's Chester. And you have to go and you have to get Chester. You have to walk down the hall. And our building was built in 1910. So there's all of the creepy dark corridors and it's the 80s. So they're like, hey, eight-year-old, just walk down the creepy dark corridor by yourself and knock on the door and get the janitor and have him come take care of it. So that's what I do. So it's like you know, the walk of like, oh no, oh no, what am I gonna do? He's gonna yell at me. He always yells at us when we make messes. So I knock on his door, no one comes, knock again, no one comes, come back to the lunch lady, he's not there. She's like, whatever, just take your tray, go sit down, we'll figure it out. Cause she's thinking, I gotta keep this line moving. We got 20 minutes to feed 300 kids. So I go sit down and I think, all right, this is gonna work out. This is gonna be okay. It's gonna be okay. And then the school secretary, who's the second most scary person in our school after Chester, the janitor, comes out onto the stage above the area where we're all seated in the cafeteria and goes, excuse me, who spilled the milk on the floor? You need to report to the principal's office immediately. (sighs) This is the worst. This is the walk of shame the stand up in front of the 300 kids, the perfectionistic straight A, walk the line, never get in trouble, eight year old who just wants someone to wear the best friend necklace. And, and I have to do it. And I think maybe I could just not say anything. Maybe nobody knows. Maybe in the 10 minutes since this happened, those two boys have forgotten that they were standing next to me when this happened. Uh, but then I notice two girls down the row from me giving me the side eye. And I hear, Heather did it. So I know I have to fess up because they know that I did it and I know that I did it. So I go up, I pick up my tray. I do the walk of shame. I go up to the secretary. She tells me to get upstairs. Get upstairs. She sits me down and I say the only words that I have in that moment. She goes, why did you do that? And I say, Dustin dared me to. So... Poor Dustin, he was the kiddo that was always in trouble and I just roped him into my evil plot for me. I'm so sorry, Dustin, if you're watching via live stream today. It was not your fault, it was my fault. So anyways, it was it was really a fine scenario but I just say that to like illustrate how when we have to out ourselves for something that we aren't sure what the consequences are gonna be, it's terrifying. And so this woman, to to come out in the midst of this trembling. says she was trembling. She's shaken. She's so terrified. She doesn't know what's going to happen. She doesn't know what the consequences are going to be, but they're bad. She, an unclean woman, has touched the rabbi. And he says, so then he said, so she says, you know, She's having this moment and then Peter responds with a lack of faith. What do you mean? Like, what does he say here in, uh, in verse 45? Peter said, master, the crowds are surrounding you and pressing in on you. Like, hello, there's a, everybody is touching you. What are you talking about? But Jesus says, someone touched me. I know that power has gone out from me. And then she comes forward trembling and she fell before Jesus just as Jairus did before. And she explained why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. So she's actually now there. He calls her forward and she's publicly testifying to what happened and to how God healed, like to how she was immediately healed. And she's testifying now in front of this giant crowd of people who's all surrounding her and watching her. And Jesus responds, and when we think of this woman as we study this passage, she gets referred to in the Bible sometimes as the woman who'd been bleeding for 12 years or the hemorrhaging woman. But Jesus doesn't look down at her and say, hello, bleeding woman. He looks at her and he says, daughter, daughter, your faith has healed you. He's saying, you were an agent. You were a part of this. Like you were healed because of your faith. And then he gives her this blessing, go in peace. And she can go in peace now. She's gonna be able to be restored to fellowship in the community. She's not gonna be sitting on the margins anymore. She's gonna be able to rejoin worship so she can go in peace. In the meantime, a messenger comes to let Jairus know that his daughter has died and they might as well moved on. But Jesus turns to Jairus, encouraging him to keep the faith, saying, don't be afraid, just keep trusting and she will be healed and Jairus is just seeing this miracle of he healing. So they go back to the house. Jesus doesn't allow anyone to enter except his inner circle, Peter, John, and James, who are witnesses to several of the miracles, like the transfiguration and the child's father and mother. But there's these mourners there and they're all crying and mourning for her. And Jesus says, don't cry, she isn't dead. She's only sleeping. It reminds us of these other stories of healing that we hear about of, G- of Jesus raising Lazarus. Um, of Jesus raising the widow's son, but they laughed at him. They laughed at him like Sarah laughed at God when she heard she was going to have a son in her old age. They laughed at him, a lack of faith, because they knew she was dead. But taking her hand, Jesus called out, child, get up. And her life returned, and she got up at once. And like a good Parent, a good mom, a good auntie, a good grandma, he says, Get this girl something to eat. She is hungry. She has traveled a long way to death and back, and she needs some food. And they get her some food. They get her something good some hot chocolate and some shaped cookies. And her parents were beside themselves with joy and he ordered them to tell no one what happened in this mysterious way where sometimes Jesus says, tell everybody, this woman has just testified, but in this situation, he says, don't tell everyone. Tell, don't tell anyone. And maybe, you know, thinking about how Jesus didn't heal on spectacle, Jesus didn't bring this girl out to the courtyard and raise her back to life in front of everybody with, you know, the smoke and the laser light show. It's very subtle. It's him and a few people in the room, the dad who's had faith, his closest disciples that he does this miracle and she's revived. So this story, these two stories bookended together, teach us about how the healings aren't so much about the healing God does, which they are in part to show us that Jesus, as Lord, as God's son, has power over death, has power over sickness, but the stories also teach us about this power of God that's breaking through in the new creation. The spirit of God is in Jesus and it's breaking through. That power that goes out, he's so filled with the spirit that he can walk through the crowd and healing is like shooting out of the hem of his garments. Um, And it shows us just how incredible the power of the Holy Spirit is. We know that he's full of the Holy Spirit because in Luke 4.1, Jesus returned from the Jordan River full of the Holy Spirit and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. When I was growing up, we were taught, um, we always thought of the Spirit comes at Pentecost. That's the church's birthday. We have a birthday party on Pentecost because that's when the spirit came down and filled up the church. But in Luke, over and over, we see the spirits at work in Jesus and through Jesus and among the people all throughout the entire book before Jesus goes away. So the power of the spirits with him. One of the commentators, Albert Opke, Um, says the miracles of Jesus belong to another world. Thinking back to the spectacularness, there's no egotistic motive. He himself has a faith which moves mountains, but he will not use it to provide spectacles. Nevertheless, he demands faith of those who would receive the blessing of the miracle. So the power of the spirit comes down. Jesus could have the capacity to do something great, but he just, he's using it as a way to respond to and build up the faith of the people. And so the second thing that we see in this inbreaking of God's spirit is the faith of the people who respond and how that is affirmed. In Luke 8, 48, um, he he says to the woman, daughter, your faith has healed you. And in verse 50, he says to Jairus, don't be afraid, just keep trusting and she will be healed. Just keep trusting. So when we're thinking about healing on this side of Jesus's resurrection, we know that we've already had a healing through the power of his spirit that's restored us to eternal life through this forgiveness of sins. And that's something that we celebrate every week as we take the bread and the cup and remember Jesus's sacrifice and how it covers our sins. So we've already been healed from the most significant healing that we could possibly receive by being able to be united spiritually with Jesus, by having the hope and promise of our own resurrection of eternal life into the next life, that that girl coming back to life is a foreshadowing of what's going to happen for all of us when God revives all of us. And in praying for what God has for us today, First Free Methodist Church, in this word, I've been praying, God, what is your word in this for us right now in 2018 on this block of Queen Anne And these are a few of the ways that God's brought to mind how as believers we can faithfully live through a few practices. So the first practice we can faithfully live through is committing to the regular practice of prayer. Jesus is alone over and over and over throughout the book of Luke. He takes time away from the crowds to go and be with the Spirit. Um, To commune with God, to be recharged and refilled with God's power. As we were talking about this last night, Clay was reminding me of just Psalm 23, and I want to read it to you. Imagining Jesus praying this prayer as he walks in solitude with the Lord The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. He lets me rest in grassy meadows, He leads me to restful waters, He keeps me alive. He guides me in proper paths for his, the sake of his name. Jesus is praying, even when I walk through the darkest valley, I fear no danger because you are with me. You, God, are with me. Your rod and your staff, they protect me. You set a table for me right in front of my enemies. Thinking about that in Luke, there's story after story of Jesus eating with people, of having table fellowship with people, of eating with people who question his motives. And it says, you set a table for me right in front of my enemies. You bathe my head in oil, thinking about this anointing from the woman with the alabaster jar. My cup is so full, it spills over. My cup is so full, I'm so full with the spirit, it spills over and out of me. So the spirit is coming out of the hems of the garments. Yes, goodness and faithful love will pursue me all the days of my life. As I live In the Lord's house as long, and I will live in the Lord's house as long as I live. So, through prayer, Jesus is continually refilled and recharged and rejuvenated by the power of the Holy Spirit. And prayer is a place where we too can be refueled and recharged. And it's a walk of humility to pray is to humbly say, I need to stop what I'm doing, God, and ask for your rejuvenation. I need to ask for your will to be done in my life. I need to ask for your way to be done in my life. I personally have a really hard time when I can tell it's time for me to go forward somewhere and receive prayer in a worship service. That is a very vulnerable thing to do, to come forward and receive prayer. You know, I, I don't know what it is. It's it's maybe awkward. There's people looking, you know, my back's to everybody. What are they thinking? Are they judging me? Are they trying to guess why I'm up here and draw conclusions? Um, but last summer I was at a worship service and I just sensed God saying, you need to go forward. You just need to go forward And there was no choice in the matter. The spirit was so heavy on me. I was like, there's no choice, I have to go forward. So I came forward to receive the prayer, had to wait in line for the prayer person because there was someone ahead of me and came forward. And as soon as I got there, I couldn't even get the words out of why I was there. I just started crying. And the person, the pastor who was praying over me said, the Lord's given me a verse, James 4, 6. God opposes the proud and shows favor to the humble. And God is so pleased. That you've come forward today, and I didn't—I didn't understand that. How does this verse connect? Um, but as I've sat with it this year, I'm like, God gives favor to the humble. He is—he wants to pour out His blessing on those who will humble themselves to come and ask for the blessing, to ask for God to fill them. And that's what He can't pour His grace and His favor out onto people who are too proud to come to Him. And so we can faithfully, if we can faithfully commit to the practice of prayer, God's going to pour out his spirit. We also, the second thing that we can commit to is opening ourselves up to the movement of the spirit in whatever way the spirit wants to move. The thing that struck me so powerfully about this passage is how Jairus comes in and he says to Jesus, will you heal my daughter, 12 years old, who's been dying? And the next thing Jesus does is he heals a woman who's been bleeding for 12 years and he calls her daughter. So it made me wonder, did Jairus pray a prayer that Jesus answered, but he didn't answer it in the way that Jairus meant it. Jairus saying, pray for my daughter, heal my daughter, the daughter, my only daughter, the daughter of my house. And Jesus says, you have many daughters. You are a leader of the synagogue. You have many daughters in this community. You have a daughter in this community who's prohibited from coming into worship because she is unclean and she's in need of healing just as much as your 12 year old daughter is. So does the spirit of God move in a way that he might, the spirit might redirect our prayers to go towards the people that God is also concerned about? So in thinking about that in our ministry as a church, what are the things that are on your heart this morning? that you want to bring to God in prayer, the loved ones that you have, the healing in your own life, the things that you desire in your heart of hearts, the things that you want to happen for your future, your hopes and dreams, the salvation that you're praying for the people in your life. God cares deeply about all of those concerns in the same way that he cared about Jairus's prayer for his daughter. And also, God cares about all the people that are affected by similar kinds of prayers that are in our neighborhood and in our community that we don't see, that are invisible to us, that are outside of the community, that aren't in the same context where they are connected to the people to get them onto the prayer list to pray for that need. So we need to, in our time of prayer, ask God to reveal to us who in our community he has us to bring to him in prayer, who he has in our community that he wants to be at work in and among. Do you trust that God has the power to do that? Do you trust that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you can be an agent of healing and extending prayer and new life to others? That's our call is we seek to make disciples. So I'm gonna transition to a time of prayer and we're gonna move towards the table, a time of communion and connection with God. And I encourage you to bring these prayers to God to come forward and to pray for healing if that's what you need or desire to visit with the people on the sides and ask them to pray for you and come and be restored and rejuvenated by the power of God's spirit. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much that you are present and active among us. We thank you that your word is active and living. We thank you for the ways that you provide in ways that go beyond what we can ask or imagine. And Lord, we come to you today knowing that all of us have things in our hearts and in our lives that we desire healing for and from. Lord, there are places in our lives where we wonder if you can even do a work because we know it would take a miracle to overcome the difficulties that we face. God, you know that. And we lift those concerns up to you again today, Lord. God, we know that you are present and active among us. And we pray, Lord, this week, that you would show us with your eyes who you are calling us to friend, who you are calling us to have compassion on and to minister to in our context, Lord.